0: Hi, I'm Melissa Ritz, and this is Served, a podcast about female military veterans and their experiences in and out of uniform. Today, I'm joined by fellow Air Force veteran and fellow podcaster Amanda Huffman. Amanda's podcast, Women of the Military, has 136 episodes to date. Amanda shares her story of commissioning into the Air Force as a civil engineer, deploying to Afghanistan, life with a military husband and embracing the transition from active duty to diaper duty. After the episode, visit Amanda's website, airmantomom.com. Amanda, after listening to so many of your episodes, I'm grateful you made time for me today. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited to be here. You first came to my attention last year during the pandemic quarantine, and I was listening to different podcasts, and I was thinking of starting one, and I found your podcast, Women of the Military, And I was excited to discover it because, as we both know, we've had such crazy and interesting experiences and have met the most incredible women, and it's important to archive and share our stories. And also, we served at very different times, so I think it's cool to hear how things have changed or how they haven't changed. And I know this is a bit of a twist today because you're the one usually asking the questions, but now it's time to hear your story. So start us off with where you're from originally and what led you to serve in the Air Force?
1: So I grew up in Central California in Fresno and I have no military connection in my family, but September 11th happened my senior year of high school. And I was kind of like, oh, there's a military. (laughs) And my parents were like, you should join the military. And I was like, no, that's not a good plan. (laughs) And when I was in college, my freshman year, um, a bunch of different people were enlisting. And then one of my friends was doing ROTC. And so I had all these like friends that I just met at college, and they were all connected to the military. And so it kind of made me think, hmm, maybe I should look into this more. And so I told my dad. And he knew someone who worked at the Air National Guard station in Fresno. And he drove me there and was like, sign up. (laughs) And so I was on my path to enlisting into the Air National Guard. And that friend who was doing ROTC, he was like, before you enlist, let's go to lunch. And so then he told me all about ROTC. And then I went to the open house at the college, learned about it and was like, I'm gonna do this instead of enlisting. And so that's how I, Join the military.
0: Where did you go to college? Fresno State. And what was your major?
1: Civil engineering.
0: And did that, did you choose civil engineering because it aligned with what the military wanted you to do? Or
1: originally, I was undecided and I, I really liked math and science. So I was taking like all the math courses. And one of the people I met at the open house, he's like, Well, the Air Force likes engineers. And he's, he was electrical, and he's like, electrical is really hard, but civil, I heard, is really easy, so you should do that. And then I was like, OK. And I didn't put a lot of thought into it, but I I ended up loving it. And it was way better than doing like mathematics, which is like math theory. Engineering is more like hands-on math. And so I still love math, um, even though I have a podcast and love to write.
0: <laughs> well, I can relate, except for the math part. Uh but I'm interested in your ROTC experience and signing up so close to 9-11. Uh, as, you, as you're going through the semesters and training to be an officer, the military was building up for an invasion in response to the attacks in New York City and D.C., and even the airplane hijacking and crash in Pennsylvania. So what was that like for your class? What kind of discussions were going on in your ROTC program as you approached graduation?
1: Yeah, they talked about it a lot, especially at field training. They said, you're gonna deploy within the first year, which wasn't actually quite true, but I mean, we did deploy within, I think the first four years, almost every person who joined in that time frame. but they did talk about it a lot. And I think it was to make sure you knew what you were signing up for. And they also had so many people, like my class of cadets started with, I think 21 freshmen and the detachment as a whole was like maybe 80 people. But each year that we got farther away from September 11th, the new class of freshman cadets was smaller and smaller. So like the class before us, like we were 21, but the class before us was like 35. And then, you know, less people would stay, and only so many people would actually end up committing. And so, the detachment kept getting smaller and smaller. And how many
0: women were with you?
1: There were, I think three three or four females. And then I was the only one who stayed in um, past the freshman year.
0: Wow. Okay, so you graduate from college and then did you have to go to another training or did you just report to your first assignment?
1: I went to a second lieutenant school in Alabama First, for six weeks, and then I went to my first assignment. But not everybody, like my husband went to his first assignment and then he went to the second lieutenant school. So it's not like everybody goes to second lieutenant school. It was just that's what I just ended up going there first.
0: And you met your husband in your training program, right?
1: In ROTC, yeah.
0: So did you guys get married before you graduated college?
1: Yeah, he commissioned a year before me. So we spent the first year. Well, I guess we weren't married. We were spent my last year of college separated and then he came back and we got married right before graduation, like in March, and then I graduated in May.
0: Right. Which also helps for those listening. If you're military, married to military, there's more likely a chance you'll get stationed together. Yeah. They have been known to separate married couples and put them in different places. Yeah. Did you go to Maxwell for your second lieutenant training?
1: Yeah. For Alabama. Yeah, Maxwell, Alabama.
0: I'm so yeah. sorry. Um <laughs>
1: It was it was really fun to be with a bunch of second lieutenants and and field training was happening and so we're watching like all the cadets who are going through torture and we're out there playing and having parties. <laughs> so
0: I, my experience with Alabama, I grew up in the military. My dad was uh, in the army and he got stationed at Fort Rucker, Alabama, just Southern Alabama, my senior year of high school after going to school in Germany. So I'm from Germany to Alabama. And I was like, this is awful. Get me out of here, which is why I joined the air force. Cause I just was like, I need to get out of here. So my memories of Alabama are not tied to having fun and doing all the things <laughs> right but, but it is how I joined the military so after Maxwell where did you go to Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico which is where
1: my husband was stationed yeah
0: and is your husband also a civil engineer
1: no he is an electrical engineer so he's a developmental engineer okay and then what year is this
0: 2007 and when did you deploy to Afghanistan
1: 2010
0: okay so between 2007 and 2010 well first of all let me back up What did your family think of all this?
1: My parents have been really supportive and really laid back about, I mean, my dad drilled it into our head that we had to go to college. So I think he was just happy that I graduated and that I was on this new path and this new adventure and they like to come visit us. So they were like, where are you moving again? We've already been to New Mexico. Can you go somewhere else? Right.
0: (laughs) Right. So then after New Mexico, is that where you deployed out of or did you PCS somewhere else?
1: Yeah, I deployed out of New Mexico. And had your husband had a deployment before you? No, my husband's one of those odd people who's never deployed. Did you work in the same squadron? No, he was, he wasn't even part of, there was like a special unit um, that was like a detachment unit that was like stationed at Eglin. And then I was at the 49th wing I don't know fighter wing and he was at the 746 which was part of the 46 test wing so we were not even in the same he was in air force material command and I was in ACC air combat command so we had like different family days different schedules whenever I was in an exercise he wasn't and he was working like he had a lot of tests that they did and so he would work nights and I would work days and and then we travel a lot, so we didn't see each other a whole lot.
0: Shift gears to your your deployment. Were there rumblings coming that you guys were about to get activated to deploy or did you know this was coming? So
1: we were on this weird task force to respond to like home land security type issues. Like I deployed for Hurricane Ike when it came to Texas. I was with, in Florida, helping man the um, emergency operations center in case the Texas asked for federal help, so we were doing that and learning like all the different things about like how to run an emergency operations center and the different roles. And then the military or the Air Force was like, "Why do we have this random civil engineer unit doing this in uh, New Mexico when we have Red Horse <laughs> and they have all the trucks and the, you know, the equipment?" they're more suited for this role. And then they were like, you're not doing that anymore. And you're back on the deployment rotation. And within 60 days, all the lieutenants had been tasked to deploy. Within 60 days. Yeah. And I had a 30 day notice before I left for my deployment. So it went from being on this like home mission where we weren't deploying to like everybody deployed within less than four months.
0: Did that require additional training and gear to be issued to you?
1: Kind of. I had, so I deployed with the Army. I was an individual augmentee, so I deployed with the Army and I went to Camp Atterbury in Indiana and I went to four months of training from November of 2009 to February of 2010. I had to do like self aid, buddy care and chem warfare and like all the pre-deployment checklists, but I didn't get my gear until I went to Indiana. Um, I don't even think I had a no weapon when I, yeah, I didn't have a weapon until I got to Indiana either. And then they put like all the different people together on teams and we all met in Indiana. So it was kind of a weird, it was a weird deployment. How long was your deployment? Uh, nine months. Did it get extended? No, it was supposed to be nine months from the beginning because the PRTs were on a like four months of training nine month deployment. So it was a year total.
0: What was that like to deploy to Afghanistan? You've got the benefit of talking to people who've been there before you and you kind of know a little bit of what to expect. What was your experience with that?
1: I had no idea what to expect. Like I thought I knew what to expect. And then I was there because we did like, we would do these (laughs) convoy trainings where we were looking for IEDs and we would drive like Two miles an hour looking for like the tripwire or the rocks. You don't drive two miles an hour when you're in a de- like in the deployment zone. like you're just driving a convoy down the road. It was like hyper vigilant and like not reality super training. And then we got over there and we kind of just like drove around and and most of the time we were pretty safe. and then every once in a while it was like you had to use the training that we learned. Uh, for different events but it wasn't like I thought every time we went off base we'd be attacked right and most of the time we go off base and nobody most of the time the Afghan people were like hey come over here let's hang out and we're like wait what so it's kind of interesting our first mission off base they had built a retaining wall for the people and they had always had trouble with flooding and so that village was so happy that the Americans had built this retaining wall they were like oh just come this way and like we were all worried because it was kind of in like a dangerous area but because the Afghan people in that village were so happy about what the PRT had done we didn't have to worry about anything because they were like oh just pull your trucks up because we tried to be like respectful and like not just pull our trucks into the middle and they were like no you can just pull them in and park here, and we don't mind because you made us a retaining wall. So it's kind of like that wasn't what I expected when we went off base. Did you notice
0: anything like culturally the way you were treated as a woman?
1: Not really. The Afghan people look at American women, kind of, at least the Afghans that I met, as like a third sex of like American women, and there's Afghan women, and they're not the same. And so And also being a civil engineer in Afghanistan is kind of equivalent to being a doctor in America. So they saw the fact that I had an engineering degree and that was more important to them. And the fact that like I was the one who was going to make sure they got paid. They just kind of bypassed those cultural differences and were like, well, I would like to get paid and she's an engineer, so I'm going to work with her. And I didn't really notice it. And my my counterpart was also a female civil engineer. So I think if there had been a male and a female, it probably would have been different.
0: I find that so fascinating. I was stationed in Istanbul, Turkey in 2000 to 2001 when 9-11 happened. And even Istanbul is a very westernized city, but I was treated very differently because I was a woman. So I was just curious if if you had experienced anything like that. I know they're completely different situations. It wasn't a deployment thing. And
1: Yeah. At training, they had taught us to wear our head coverings and like to like respect the culture. And when we got there, the people... Who are on the team before us were like, no, if you wear those head coverings, they're going to look at you as a woman and not as a military m- member. So you shouldn't wear the head coverings, just wear your helmet and your combat gear. And that would be the best thing because... If we had come in like trying to be like culturally, then they would have looked down on us. And so that was probably the best advice that the previous team gave us because we had all the like wraps and ready to do that. And they were like, wait, what are you doing? No, you can't wear that because they're not going to look at you as American soldiers if you're wearing head coverings.
0: See, this is why I love talking to people who served in different generations than me because- I was due to deploy to Baghdad city in the very first group to go in to set up a mass unit because we thought they had weapons of mass destruction. And yeah. in 2001, they had all these anthrax scares. So before anybody had deployed there, the in the military the regulation at the time was the men had to be clean shaven and it was like they would deploy being clean shaven and then they'd come back and be like we've got to have facial hair these people don't respect us and part of their culture the men have beards and so the military changed that regulation but i remember when we were gearing up to deploy and and it wasn't 2001, it was closer to 2002. They wanted the women to wear the headscarves. It caused so much friction when it, there was also like, there's bigger things to worry
1: about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting that at our training, that was what they were pushing. And then once we got in country, they were like, what are you doing? You can't wear that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, because uh, you and I briefly spoke before we started recording, you mentioned you're an introvert and being an officer. What did you discover about yourself with your leadership style leading while being an introvert?
1: I think there was a lot of pressure to be like the command voice and the like hard charging. Like, I don't know, the military really kind of pushes like this, especially at field training. It was like your command voice is horrible. And it's like, that's like, doesn't really matter. I think the way that I led was I cared a lot about the people and I'm really good at like noticing if like something's off. And so I use that skill to like help my airmen that I worked with to see if there was something going on in their lives. And they really knew that I cared about them. And so my leadership style was more like take care of my people, which I interviewed general Wilma Vought and she was one of the first Air Force generals who was a woman. And she said that she would show up at the unit and they would be like trying to get out of the unit cuz they don't want to work for a woman for a woman and then at the end of her tour they would say to her I didn't want to work for you I thought it was going to be horrible but you took care of us and I would follow you anywhere and I think that's like one of the things that women bring to the military is like she talked about how she would get their records straight. She'd make sure they got put in for awards and she really took care of her people. And I think that was what was really important to me to take care of my people and to use that aspect. Cause I'm never going to be that like loud extrovert. It's not my personality.
0: Same. I'm not that exaggerated quote unquote military leader type uh, that people think of, but there's definitely a space for the more grounded nurturing type of leadership. So, in going back to your deployment, when you're not with the locals inspecting project sites, what did you do on base?
1: We watched a lot of TV. <laughs> <laughs> we had a TV in our office and we watched AFN like nonstop. And I remember like a cooking show was on at like four o'clock every day and every morning, Good Morning America was on. And then I worked out a lot. That was probably the other thing
0: and you have the luxury of being able to communicate with your husband
1: yeah but it, it was really we only had the MWR tent we didn't have wi-fi yet wi-fi didn't come to Bagram and I was at a fob until like right when we were leaving but I would always have to get up early and go to the MWR tent and there were like eight computers for the all the, I think there were like 150 Americans we were at a French fob so it was mainly French people
0: What was your parents' reaction while you are in Afghanistan?
1: They were really laid back about everything, which was really good. I didn't tell them about getting shot at until I got to Manus and I was out of Afghanistan. I sent emails home when I was deployed to like a list of, well, it kept growing the longer I was there, but I sent emails home and I tried to make them upbeat and positive and talk about like the exciting aspects of the deployment. And I didn't talk about We had a lot of drama within like team members and our commander got fired and then we got shot at a few times by the Afghans or the insurgents, I guess. Someone told me I should say insurgents because a lot of the people who were the insurgents weren't actually Afghan people, but from other countries.
0: Interesting. After your nine months, you go back to Holloman? Yeah. And what was that transition period like? I mean, nine months is a long time to be away.
1: No one really talked about that, but my husband had actually PCS to Ohio while I was in Afghanistan. So I came home to a box of stuff he left at my friend's house. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome home. And like he had kept my nice towels and picked out like a few things and like there were my clothes and then he just, there were some things that he thought that I would like, but all my stuff mainly was already in Ohio. The house that we were living in had new people living in it. And I lived with my friend for like the two months before I was able to PCS to get where he was.
0: Were you able to go home and visit your family and have that kind of time off? Yeah,
1: I went home and so I got to fly and see my husband for Thanksgiving because I got home in early November. And so uh, I got to see him for Thanksgiving. And I think my parents flew out to Ohio too. And so I got to see them. So I was with my husband for like three or four days and then my parents were there too. And then for Christmas, we went home. He flew home and I flew home and we got to spend time together. And then I went back to New Mexico and then I was there for like two weeks and then I went to Ohio.
0: How long had you been in the Air Force at that point? Three
1: and a half years, three and a half years. And
0: then what is your job? Like you come back from this deployment and now you're back into like everyday USA kind of life. Was it a smooth transition for you?
1: I mean, it was a smooth transition, but... Actually, when I got home, I walked across this like giant open field and I was like freaking out thinking there were landmines, even though I knew I was in America. And so I went and talked to a counselor and I was like, there's something wrong with me. I shouldn't be worried (laughs) about landmines in this giant open field. Like, I was so worried I walked around the field instead of cutting across it because I could not walk across it. And the lady was like, well, you just got home. You're fine. It's nothing. Well, i'm currently working to get counseling i just met with the lady yesterday and she said i don't have ptsd but i have trauma related to the deployment and i never dealt with that trauma because she told me i was fine and so i kind of had that experience happen and she was like you're fine and i was like okay so i like pushed down all the like things from the deployment and i didn't think about them and then when i became a mom and i was like struggling to like sleep and and leave the military then it all came up and i went through uh celebrate recovery which is a 12-step program to deal with a lot of the trauma that i experienced but i still i i'm doing a lot better but there's still some things that i can't quite place my finger on so i'm i'm doing cohen veterans network which is or therapy for post 9-11 vets and so i'm doing a program with them i mean i'm still dealing with the deployment 11 years later because i i had trauma that i dealt with and i never was able to find healing because a lot of it was because i didn't do anything for that i didn't get help for six years because the lady was like you're fine
0: yeah it's an amazing right what one comment can make you feel like question your own what you are feeling what you know is off but one comment can really affect everything and like you said 6 years i really applaud you for going back and being like no something's really not right and doing this 12 step program it's called
1: celebrate celebrate recovery so it's similar to i don't know if you've heard al anon mm-hmm. um so it's like al anon and al anon is like higher power and so you but celebrate recovery is instead of higher power it's god and it's usually run through a church
0: I applaud you for that. When I got out in 03, these organizations didn't exist. You know, I wish they had, but I'm, I'm glad they are here now and that you're reaching out, especially after you're dismissed by someone the first time. So you get to write Pat, you're in for three and a half years, and then what?
1: My husband was going to school. He moved because he got selected to go to Affit, which is at wright Pat. So, like, the transition back was me watching TV by myself because he was studying all the time. And so, like, we slowly got to know each other again because, like, he was so busy. I think that's why the transition was pretty smooth because it was, like, very slow. We would, like, watch TV on Friday nights, and that was the only night that we really got to hang out because he was always studying for his master's. And so... I would go to work. I went from like a really fun job <laughs> where I got to go out and do stuff. And then at my deployment, even though it was scary, it was it was really cool that we got to like go see the projects and do stuff. And then at wright Pat, I worked at the headquarters building. And so I was just in this giant office building <laughs> behind a computer. And it was like, I hated every minute of it. <laughs> So did you know that you were going to get out of the military at that point? So my son was born right when I decided to transition out. We had like thought about like trying to do dual military with kids, but with the deployments at the time, I only got six weeks maternity leave and then I had to deploy at like six months after my son was born. And like, it was like a, I would say like 75% chance that I was going to deploy within that six month to a year. And I was like, I just couldn't get past that fact, especially after going on a PRT, which was like four months of training and nine month deployment. And there was so much drama and so much stress. And like, it was really hard to just have my husband who I didn't really have to worry about him. We just talked once a week and to think about like having my Like essentially brand new baby that I would have to leave behind that I wouldn't really be able to talk to. I just couldn't do that. And so when I got pregnant, we made a list of like reasons to stay and reasons to get out. And it was really obvious that I should get out, but it was still really hard. In what way? My total identity was wrapped up in the military. I served six years, but I did ROTC for four years. So it had been A decade of my life that I had been devoted to like the Air Force and if you don't count and if you add the time before I even started ROTC it was even longer and so I had this whole thing (laughs) I feel so silly but I had this whole thing where I would like tell people that I was in the military and they'd be like oh that's cool and then you become a stay-at-home mom and they're like they don't ask you anything they're just like they totally ignore you like I went from being next to my husband and people caring who I was to like being invisible. And that was really hard.
0: Yeah, I understand that.
1: Do you at least say that you're a veteran? They don't assume that you're a veteran. They just assume you're a spouse. And and then when you say you're a veteran, they're like, wait, what? <laughs> they're like, I don't know what to say to you because you're a woman veteran and you're married. Yeah. It was weird. I've talked to people about it. We're like I wanted to hang out with like the military people because those were like my people. And I I was really involved in the military spouse community even when I was on active duty, but I like kind of could float between the groups when I was on active duty, but then They like wanted me to only be in the spouse section. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm both. (laughs) And so they just kind of would look at me like, why are you standing over here? And I was like, cause I want to be part of this. (laughs) And so it was really hard. Is that when you started your blog? Yeah. I started my blog about four months after I got out of the military.
0: And was that just a way to kind of for yourself, get everything out or to like educate people or what was the intention behind the blog?
1: Yeah, I needed something for myself, and I, my husband was supposed to move jobs or move PCS a year after I got out of the Air Force, and so it didn't really make sense to get a job, and I had hated civil engineering, like, the last two and a half years of, like, sitting behind a desk, and I was like, I, I'm not gonna put my kid in child care to go sit behind a desk and be bored out of my mind, and so I was like, well, I wrote letters home to people <laughs> I like to write. And so I I started a blog, and it really started as a five-minute, once-a-week thing. And then I really enjoyed writing, and so then I started finding ways to do more of it, and then it just has grown from there. And what year did you start that? Uh, 2014.
0: And is that the year you got out of the Air Force?
1: I got out in October of 2013. So,
0: you start talking about your experiences in the military and the transition from active duty to diaper duty, which is so cute. So did you start to find more, more of a community with that? Were you getting some responses like, yeah, I should keep pursuing
1: this? So I was because I was writing about military stuff. Then I got really, I guess, upset. I don't know. I was like, well, I did military. And so then I tried to write about like military spouse life or being a mom life or traveling or natural birth or all these things. So I kind of got a little distracted (laughs) along the way. So I started like on the right track and I did start to build a community. And then I kind of like jumped off into like, people probably were like, what is she doing? (laughs) Like I was just like everywhere. And when you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one. And I was definitely doing that for a long time where I just was like, oh, I saw a cloud. Let's write about that. And... (laughs) I was all over the place until 2017, so for a long time. And then what happened in 2017? Well, I had done this 31 Days series where you write every day in October, which is really... I don't recommend it, but (laughs) I had done it a few times, and I decided well, I'm gonna do deployments and I'm gonna interview people cause then I don't have to write everything and it won't be so draining. And I got all these responses from women and I was like, oh, women, they deploy? <laughs> I don't know, women, they're in the military. And so I was like so fascinated by their stories that I was like, who cares about deployment? Let's talk about women. And so that was where like the shift took place in 2017, October. And then I started talking more about my story in the military, and I was going to do the series again in 2018, but focused on women veterans, and that's what the book Women of the Military became. But we deployed, or we PCS'd, and my friend was like, you don't have to do the series <laughs> if you're really stressed out and you just moved. And so I, the podcast came out of that and the book.
0: So talk about the book. That's from... Your interviews, and did you know all these women, or were some of them like freshly introduced to you?
1: I didn't know most of the women that were in the book. I put like calls out on women veteran pages. um and that's where I got most of the people. And I got like a ton of responses, and then I sent emails to everybody who responded. And then I got like maybe a quarter of responses from that with the follow up. So, It was a lot of work, but it was really interesting to like hear all these stories from women. And I mean, obviously, I I liked it because I started a podcast. When I started the podcast, I was really worried that I would have a hard time finding women. But luckily with the podcast, you can ask all your questions in one sitting. So it made it a lot easier.
0: For that first episode of the podcast, what was that like? to go from it's one thing to to blog and do the email thing but then to record it's a whole other thing.
1: I don't remember if my friend suggested it or how we came up with the idea, but I went to the military influencer conference in September of 2018. Where was that? In Florida, Orlando. Okay. And I knew a few military spouses and I was like, "Hey, I think I'm going to start a podcast about military women." And at the time, I was really torn between like, should it include military spouses or should it include just women who've served in the military? And one of the military spouses I told was like, I don't care about (laughs) military spouses. She's like, I wanna hear stories of women veterans. That's what you need to focus on. And another military spouse that I talked to said the same thing. And I was like, well, obviously military spouses, they're the ones that are like pushing me to talk about uh, military women and not about military spouses. And so they were the ones who like solidified it cause I was gonna be like three weeks of veterans and then a spouse, but they were all really interested in the podcast idea. And so that was when I was like, oh, people, like you can see their face light up when you tell them an idea and they think it's good. And that's what everybody's reaction was. So that kind of gave me the inspiration to do it.
0: And who were your first few, were they friends of yours, your first few guests?
1: My first, guest was um, Cynthia Klein, who is in the book behind me. Well, I guess you can't see because they can't see. But um, she's in the book. And so I, she actually found my blog when she was deployed and she was a mom and she was thinking about getting out of the military, but she had all this guilt about like leaving the workforce to be a stay-at-home mom. And so she found my blog and she started emailing me and we became friends. And so I interviewed her when she was on her way home from her deployment. And so I like knew her, but I didn't really know her. So it wasn't as intimidating. And then I just started interviewing people that I didn't know after that and started collecting their stories.
0: That's been my experience, too. And kind of the fun in that is that you learn about the person as the audience learns. And interestingly enough, this is really our first time talking On this podcast. So, in wrapping up our time together today, I end every episode with a question. If a young woman were to come up to you today and say she's thinking of joining the military, what would you say to her?
1: I would say you can do it and to believe in yourself. I think when I was joining the military, I was so unsure if the military was right for me. And so I, like I said, the ROTC was like, I slowly dipped my toe into it, but I loved it so much that I didn't really care that I felt like I didn't fit in because I was like, I just want to be here. But I wish I had more self-confidence when I was joining the military because in the training environment and like the field trainings or boot camps, like you're supposed to grow and change and like making mistakes isn't a bad thing. And I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned is like you grow in the failures. And so I wish I would have known that when I was joining the military to take those risks and not worry about if I failed because it's a training environment and that's what the training environment is for. So I think that's the advice I would give is to believe in yourself and to take those risks. Yeah, and
0: that's actually great advice for anyone at any point take risks and learn from the failures yeah amanda thank you so much for joining me today thanks so much for having me listen to amanda's podcast women of the military at itunes and visit her website airman also, visit CelebrateRecovery.com and CohenVeteransNetwork.org. Thanks for listening. If you're a veteran in crisis or are concerned about one, contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-8255, option 1, or visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. Confidential support is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year.